Well, Otis, welcome to the podcast this morning. We're delighted to have you join us to talk about your sermon this past week on an outrage. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. I'm feeling great. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, no, I've been looking forward to having you yeah. back. Good morning, Rick. Hey, how are you guys doing? Doing well. Doing All right. Listen, I love the I love the message, and uh, there are a lot of things about the message that uh, I'd love to love to talk about. But I imagine, mm-hmm. Faye, you have some questions that you've uh, yeah, keyed up for some Otis. Questions. We've received we've, some questions, uh, yeah. And Otis, I would imagine that there was quite a bit of feedback uh, for you uh, in the lobby, and maybe people talking to you uh, since yeah. Sunday. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing about that a little bit too. Yeah, no, this, this should be great fun time. You know, one of the interesting things about this He Gets Us series is that it does give us a different aspect of Jesus's emotions to focus on each week. Mm-hmm. And uh, and one comment that was made was that um, you could fall into the trap of thinking that any one of these different um, emotions is kind of the filter through which we understand Jesus, which with something like compassion is uh, is maybe easy to sure. do that we we yeah. like the idea of a comp- of a compassionate Jesus, mm-hmm. but the idea of a Jesus who experienced outrage on on more than an occasional basis is a little less comfortable <laughs> than yeah. the compassionate Jesus. Well, how people think about outrage is probably important. You offered a definition, and I don't know if people gave themselves time to recalibrate mm. their understanding of outrage with how you were presenting it. You yeah. talked about uh, the the definition that you that you put up, uh, that you were working off of, is the experience of anger, shock, and indignation. And mm-hmm. clearly, clearly there were times that Jesus experienced that. Yeah. But it's not like he was running around with his hair on fire, you know, angry, yelling at people, no. unable to control his emotions. Right. If you equate outrage with uncontrolled with an uncontrolled emotional experience, well then, no, Jesus wasn't outraged. But if we're talking about anger, shock, and indignation, well, absolutely. Yeah, and I think we, we like you said, we filter it through the things that we see on the screen, right? Yes. When, when people talk about people being angry or outraged, that's what they see. That's all they ever see is these people who are raging against whatever it is. And there's a measured version of outrage, and that's what Jesus showed, right? I mean, that's why Mark does what he does in Palm Sunday, where he leaves and he comes back to the temple, because mm-hmm. it is a measured response to what's going on. It is not raging against the the, the things that are happening. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's appropriate to feel yeah. these things. There's nothing wrong with feeling what you feel, but there's but not all the responses to that are appropriate. And Jesus gave us, and you walked us through a framework of how to respond that is I mean, it is challenging. <laughs> like, I, I, it's you talked about it. Take it. It takes a steeper. You talk about going to a higher standard. I mean, it is just like, oh my goodness, this is challenging. I want to know before we jump into questions that people submitted and, and questions that people asked you personally. I want to know what was most challenging for you as you were studying for this. Because every time that I that I'm putting together a message, I feel like I'm getting a whooping myself. <laughs> yeah, I think what's most challenging for me is. Um, how much I spend time dwelling on the things that make me angry Hmm. instead of moving past them to what I can do about them and how I can show love in those spaces. It's 
wow, like every morning I said, I sit in my chair in the morning before I do anything else. And I think about, okay, I've got to figure out how I'm going to deal with whatever it is that's going to make me angry today. Mm. And there's always something. Mm. And I'm like, maybe I shouldn't wake up that way, right? Mm. I should be focused on what I'm going to be able to do for the kingdom today. And there are things that are going to outrage me and make me angry or hurt me. Mm -hmm. But there's there's a path forward in that. What do you do with that as you're sitting there and you're having this thought in the morning? What, where do you go with those thoughts and those feelings? Yeah, I think uh, a few years ago I started journaling first thing in the morning just to sort of get the things out of my head so that they don't stay there when I'm walking out the door. Mm-hmm. Um, and just sort of try to hand all of that over to Jesus before I walk out the door of my house or before Maddie gets up and wants to run and play and love on her dad, right? I have to be in that frame of mind. I can't be thinking about, well, I turned the TV on today and this is what's in front of me. I've got to recenter myself on what mm-hmm. it is that, that I'm going to do for Jesus today. Can we hang out here for a second? Yeah. Because uh, I'm wondering how many people might be able to relate to that without even realizing it. You used a quote uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he used a quote that talked about, all right, well, we feel we feel anger and outrage and all that kind of stuff, but a lot of us aren't even aware that it's a pleasure and we can mm-hmm. be addicted to the, mm-hmm. to the feeling of it. I'm curious how many people might find themselves, oh my goodness, Otis, I relate to exactly what you're talking about because I start my day scrolling through social media right. mm-hmm. and I've just found a comfort in mm-hmm. not only... Um, feeling upset, but going and looking for the things Mm -hmm. that are going to make me upset. What's the latest controversy today? And and I'm almost 100% off of social media. I still keep Twitter, and that may or may not be uh, an unwise thing to do. Uh, But I'm trying to only, I'm trying to use the Twitter that's the people that I follow and not the stuff they recommend because the stuff, the, the, if you're not familiar with 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 Twitter, there's like two streams you could follow, just the people that you choose to follow or the stuff that, that, they twi- feed to that you. They're, they're feeding mm-hmm. to you. And the stuff that they're feeding to me, it's at least 50%. Here's what we think is going to make you mad today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. And so we like in the mornings, I don't I don't do Facebook and I don't do Twitter in the morning unless somebody sends me something. And I, I don't do those because they're all about rage. Everybody that I'm friends with is yeah. mad about something in the morning. And yeah. I'm like, you just woke up. <laughs> like, <laughs> what kind of dreams are you having? <laughs> like you woke, you woke up angry this morning about that. But yeah. it starts your day in that frame of mind. And yeah. you just you got to get out of it. Okay. So there's an unhealthy aspect to outrage or feeling that kind of mm-hmm. anger at mm-hmm. injustice or, or whatever it is in the world. But there's also a healthy expression that Jesus modeled for us. And mm-hmm. and interestingly, you know, I think there is a, a kind of a, a sweet connection between righteous outrage and compassion. Yes. That, that yes. you know, we touched on it just a little bit last week, but that idea that that it is healthy to get upset about the things that are hurting other people. When Je- when when the guy came to Jesus needing to be healed, Mark writes that Jesus was indignant, indignant. Uh-huh. right? And so but he responded with compassion to the guy. He wasn't angry at the guy, but angry at how sin uh, had had just broken this guy physically and mm-hmm. clearly Jesus was is 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 angered. Um, over that in, in, a, in a much broader way too. But yeah, it's not wrong, mm-hmm. but how we handle it, how we respond to it 
is a matter of brain rot. Yeah, and I think as you're saying, like, they feel like they're two sides of the same coin, right? Because mm-hmm. Jesus, whatever it was that hurt people, mm-hmm. whatever it was that he had compassion about, it was broken about. The opposite end of that, that cause was what outraged him throughout his life. He was angry about all of those things in all of those spaces, mm-hmm. but it was because he cared about those people. It wasn't about what was good for him. Mm-hmm. I appreciate this conversation, and I really appreciate your story and your stories. Um, because it would be so easy. And I, I want to hear your feedback on this. You and I haven't talked about this, so I, I hope I'm not throwing too hot of a potato in your lap. As I listen to this message, I'm thinking, no, this is just this is a message about the gospel. This is a message about how we trust and follow Jesus whenever we feel anger, shock, or indignation about whatever it might be. The on-ramp to talk about that were your stories and experiences that related to uh, uh, really racial injustices and wrongs that you've experienced. And I know more of your story, and you could have you could have shown other things, and people you could have told other stories, and people might have been weeping. But it's not about racial inequality and injustice. It's about the gospel intersecting with outrage. But those real stories and experiences were the on-ramp for how you got us there to think about it. Yeah. Is that fair? That's fair. That's And it's really those experiences and having Jesus in my life that got me to the point to where I could understand what he's talking about, mm-hmm. right? Because it's really easy to lose yourself when people treat you that way or mm-hmm. see you that way or say those things about that way. And if it wasn't for Jesus in my life, that sounds churchy, but it's true. If it wasn't for Jesus in my life, I'd be a completely different person right mm-hmm. now. I was surrounded by people in my life early on that were angry all the time and combative. Mm -hmm. If we didn't have the center of this, I wouldn't be here today. Like Mm -hmm. that's, that's the, that's the God's honest truth. I would be somewhere else. Like my, my older brother will tell you those stories. He, he got in trouble because he was angry all the time Mm -hmm. and went to jail and did those, right. It was, it was that he wasn't grounded in Jesus in that way. And mm. and now he tells us that. He tells us those stories. Like, mm. if I had only rested in Jesus the way that you guys are doing now, then I wouldn't be in the places that I was in. Wow. Right? It is, it is really that. Mm. Thank I you for that, yeah. being yeah. vulnerable with telling some of your story and yeah. and the way that this interfaces with your life. And, and uh, you know, I know there may have been some moments that might have been uncomfortable for some people to hear, but I appreciate you not... Uh, not whitewashing over some of that and, and letting us feel that tension and uh, and sitting in that. Can I just can I just say that I've never experienced anger from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I imagine it's in there, and you know, <laughs> you know, you're a human being, and you're also, uh, you know, <laughs> you're a dad of a very energetic girl. I would imagine. <laughs> but uh, in the message, I did, I heard a lot of tenderness and gentleness. You weren't preaching from outrage. You were preaching the gospel and how it interfaces with us, uh, and how it how Jesus helps us when we experience that. And that's a that can be a difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I admire that tremendously. Well, thank you. It's it's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to find Jesus in those places. Mm-hmm. It would be easier to just respond. Yeah. And then, like what we've what we've always been taught from our parents is that your witness is more important than being right. Mm. And, and being in a position where you can tell people that they're wrong. The witness is what the power is. So this probably helps under, helps me understand and other people as they get to know you, um, how you became the man that you are, because you were a man who lives for the advance of Jesus's kingdom, for, for the gospel that started when you were, when you were 
you were very young. Mm-hmm. And it's the mission. It's evangelism. It is sharing Jesus with others that trumps all other things. It does. And it is a beautiful thing when a follower of Jesus lives mm-hmm. by that understanding. Yeah. It's not, again, it's not easy, but it is who I think God has made us to be. Mm-hmm. Right? It is just, I can... I can waste my time being upset about everything that's wrong, or I can go show people how to love through it mm-hmm. and be that person who can take it and just say, it's, it hurts, mm-hmm. but, but Jesus is the answer on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. And like, whatever it is, whatever you say to me, however you demean me, it's not about that. It is about my relationship with you and your relationship with Jesus. Mm. And, and I can take all of it. Mm. Right? And it's, Friends ask me all the time, so why why are you in this context and not the context that you grew up in, right? It'd yeah. be easier for you to go be in a predominantly African-American context, and you can just say whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but really, should I say whatever I want, even in that context? You know, I, I, I'm i going to say this. You would never bring this story up, but I'm gonna, I want to make sure everybody, everybody knows that when I was doing everything in my power to try and talk you into moving here <laughs> and, and joining the team, there is a very large African-American church in your home state of Texas mm-hmm. um, who's pastored by a man who I admire and has influenced my own discipleship, and he wanted you to come mm-hmm. and be his executive pastor, and you chose to, you and your wife chose to not go back to Texas, to not be close to family, to not go in that prominent church where I imagine things would be in some respects easier for you, but you chose to come here and be on our team. Yeah, That's a tremendous thing. We're so glad you did. I love it here. (laughs) It's where God wants us to be. You know, a lot of what you're expressing is you're you're beautifully authentic in the point you were trying to drive us to in the the end of the message about finding our identity in Christ, and that we can respond to all kinds of situations in a Jesus-like way when we are focused on loving Jesus, on being loved by Jesus, and treating other people in a way that He would. Um, so I, I appreciate that that's even coming out, even when you're not preaching, that's just coming out of who you are. That's a beautiful thing. Um, but but a lot of what you're expressing um, comes with that sense of we just have to acknowledge that this is a broken world and people are unfair and there are cruel things that are going to happen and and uh, and and to a certain extent we take it right we we at least let these kinds of things happen and roll off our backs we turn turn the other cheek, so to speak. Um, But can you speak to, this is something that came in on one of the questions about, is there a line between how many times we have to turn the other cheek? We only have two cheeks. (laughs) You know, do we have to... So just twice. You have four cheeks. Well, hey. Oh, no, no, no. no. (laughs) Do we we have to continually just take this? Or is there a time when it's appropriate to say, enough, I've had enough? Yeah, I think there's always a way to respond in love, right? It's not that I can't talk about it or I don't talk about it, right? And that was one of the questions that sort of came out in the lobby. So so you you took the them singing Dixie, you went to your office, you cried, you did whatever you needed to do, and then you stayed for five years. Like I think people presume that there was no conversation that happened after that. It was just like the, it happened and it's gone. Well, no, we we grew and we matured in a way where we could have conversations about it. 
what I think Jesus is saying is when that happens, you don't have to act like the world acts. You don't have to turn around and just smack them back with something because they made you angry, right? It's not about not having conversation. It's Mm -hmm. not about not engaging what happened. It's about how you do it. Mm -hmm. It's about when you do it. Because Jesus always responded to people who would challenge him or put him down or put him in a place where there was always a response. It was never just like, fine, I'm out. Yeah. (laughs) Are we seeing in Jesus that there were times that people tried to kill him and he just, he somehow managed to escape. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if there was some sort of uh, supernatural intervention, if he used some sort of miracle, or I don't know exactly what happened because Luke or Mark doesn't give us, they they don't give us details on on how Mm -hmm. he he evaded them. But clearly Jesus did not always just Yeah, he didn't just stand there and wait for them to come and beat him up. Yeah, that's that's right. The Apostle Paul didn't just take it all the time. There were times that he leveraged his Roman citizenship Mm -hmm. to cause mistreatment and abuse and beatings to stop. Mm -hmm. So it is okay to use societal advantages or political advantages that we may have to protect ourselves from mistreatment. That is not wrong. And yet what we see over the trajectory of uh, Christian witness through the first three centuries is that they faced and handled persecution so incredibly well that the Roman Empire relented and then flipped upside down and protected and elevated the church instead of persecuting the church. Mm -hmm. So maybe it goes on longer than we intend, but God is working in it in a way Mm -hmm. perhaps that we can't even see. So we don't have to be a doormat. That's right. But we do need to endure. That's right. But go a little bit more on the idea of turning the other cheek specifically, because one of the questions that came in I thought was an interesting one that that uh, you know the interpretation that you gave is a sound interpretation of what Jesus meant by by turning the other cheek, and yet if the interpretation has to do with with not reacting in the same kind of way that someone is treating you, why would Jesus not have just said, "Well, just don't hit back"? You know what what is the significance of being available <laughs> for another slap. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I took it, I take it as the, it's, it's, he's giving you a visual image of what's happening in your life, right? So when somebody slaps you, it hurts, mm. right? But what I want you to do is to be loving in that moment and not feel like, well, I gotta, I've got to aggressively respond. It, it is going to hurt because people who are insulting you and attacking you are going to do it again. Mm. They are not going to relent. And so the turning of the cheek is that manner, right? So if they turn to the other cheek, to the left cheek, then they, they could slap you again, mm-hmm. right? And it would be easier for them to do it. And it would be less dishonor for them to do it. But but then let them do it because mm-hmm. it's actually their dishonor. It's not yours. You it is their dishonor. And I've you've seen that at times when you've watched someone who has treated someone very badly and the person that's, that's the recipient of this doesn't return in kind. And especially, you know, you can picture this in your, your mind. You see this person just being calm and controlled mm-hmm. and allowing it to happen. And when the angry person continues to drive at that, there's, there's kind of this brokenness that comes out of the situation that can be very, very convicting for the person who's doing wrong. Um, I think the the response of just remaining controlled under that that uh, that kind of injustice is quite powerful. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, absolutely, it absolutely is is powerful, and it tells the other people, the other person, you can't take my dignity. That's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Do you th- that's what you're attempting to do, but you, you can't do that. Would you guys give me permission to tell a story badly? 
<laughs> well, tell the story and then we'll let you know after the That's fact. All right, if it was so, bad. I, I, I wish that I had, I wish I had the details, uh, some, some of the names and the places. And I know some of the people listening absolutely know the story that, that I'm telling. But essentially, there's at another university in another country, there were, uh, there was a Christian professor and a Muslim professor debating. And the Muslim professor wanted to, in an attempt to win the debate, quoted this very passage and said to the Christian professor, you know, uh, Jesus Jesus said that if I slap you on the cheek, you have to turn the other one also. And he said, do you believe that? And he said, yes. And he said, the man just slapped the fire out of him oh, wow. in front of the entire student body. And his eyes, you know, are welling up with tears. And he said, and it continues, you know, if someone demands, you know, your shirt, give him your coat too. I mean, he, he said, I want your shirt and your pants. Hmm. Do you believe that? And the man took off his shirt and his pants and hand. Now, I wouldn't do that, but he did. Wow. And there he is. He's just utterly humiliated, face red and stinging, mm -hmm. eyes welling up with tears. And it seems like he had it, it seems like he had lost the day. There was a line out the building mm -hmm. into this Christian professor's office of Muslim students wanting to know more about Jesus after that wow. incident. There's something powerful there. And that doesn't mean that every time you do that, you're going to have that kind of experience. But when we're willing to trust Jesus and go against our natural impulse, and um, and, and there, it is worthwhile talking about how much of this is figurative and literal yeah. and colloquialism and all mm -hmm. of that kind of stuff. But when we are willing to trust the way of Jesus, he will use it in a way that we could never manufacture on our own. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, I mean, we read the the other parts of the Sermon on the Mount, right? He talks about not murdering, right? That's a literal thing. He, like, he means don't murder. It's mm -hmm. not a figurative thought about, well, this means something else, mm -hmm. right? And so there's always, there's always the literal, there's always the figurative, and the figurative has real physical understandings about how it should be done. Because in their society, that happened all the time. People got slapped all the time. Mm. Right. And, and so it's a real thing. They understand what it meant. And he meant it. If they slap you, turn the other cheek. Mm -hmm. Don't fight back. Because what happens when you fight back in that society? They were still feeling like it was not the punishment of one. It was the punishment for everyone. So everyone in the society got punished based on your response. And so the kingdom has an impact based on how you respond. So this is important. Jesus is talking about a real, literal, physical thing that's going to happen. But because we're not getting slapped, we have to look at the principle mm -hmm. behind the, what's the truth that's mm -hmm. driving that application, and we have to apply that truth to our lives. And it makes it seem as though we're reducing this to something figurative. We're not. We're trying to understand the truth that's driving it and apply that truth to our lives. Yeah. I think that works for things that are very concrete. You know, the the do not murder. Obviously, we, the principle is clear there. Uh, but you know, the uh, the call in other places in the Sermon on the Mount to if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Mm -hmm. You know, that's obviously not literal. Yeah, but, but the principle there. But even but there's <laughs> but there's a truth beneath. Don't mm -hmm. murder is an application. Yeah. Of 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 the truth. Right, so that's why that's why Jesus said, "Don't even, I mean, don't even say that I that I hate you." I mean, if you yeah. lose control of your anger, it's as though you've committed yeah. co committed murder in your heart. I mean, so there's something deeper going on, and we, when some things are obviously literal, don't do that thing. We shouldn't stop there. Sure. We should always be okay. What is the truth that's driving that command? Sure. Yeah. And I, I think on that too, like they've seen all of those things that we read and we're like, man, that must be figured. They've seen all those things happen, right? Because 
the the law of retaliation was in play and it had been in play in their life it had been played in Henry Robbie's code right all of these things existed that when you did somebody wrong depending on who you were the response was more severe mm-hmm. right and so it's real in their minds we just don't get it cuz yeah. those things don't happen i want to go back to what you mentioned cuz you you were referencing um what jesus said you know if your eye causes you to sin gouge it out if your hand causes you to 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 sin cut it off where mm-hmm. where were you going with that thought Oh, just that that's not a literal command that he's sure. giving us. It's more of that that drive to the principle that's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yet there have been people who have taken it literally. I think about uh, uh, a man from church history who uh, in North Africa, his name was uh, Oregon, and he, he took that literally and he discovered after taking it literally that, oh, that didn't solve the sin problem, mm-hmm. um, that I really should have been paying attention to the truth that was driving that expression. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think getting to that principle underneath is a good good practice for a lot of the way that we read scripture mm-hmm. um, and can save us from, uh, yeah. from making some unfortunate choices. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. Otis, were there other reactions that you've had to this, this message that maybe were surprising to you, or were there things that you wanted to say that you weren't able to say? I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of things to say that don't fit in our... 30, 40, 50 minute sermons that I preach. But um, <laughs> uh, I think like people were asking questions like, do you think that they, they, they knew you were coming, right? Do you think that they did that because you were coming and they were trying to make a statement to you? You're talking about this other the, church. The other church. Where they oh. had the were Confederates. They, were they really trying the to do that? Were they trying to make a statement? I was like, no, I don't think so. I think they were just living into who their history was, right? They weren't even thinking about it. They had no context to think about it. And they were like, but... Well, did you, did you, did you tell them that they were wrong? Like, why didn't somebody else stand up for you? Like, there were other Christians in the room, right? And I'm like, yeah, they were probably all (laughs) believers. They were all believers in the room, right? Staff was in the room. Mm. Nobody said anything. They were unaware. They were unaware. They couldn't see it. That's right. At that point in their in their life, they were not able to see how painful and offensive that would be. Would be. And so it was, it was like, okay, so what do you do with all of that? Well, I love them. And for mm-hmm. the next five years, we figured it out. We had conversations. Mm-hmm. We matured. We grew in our relationship with each other and our relationship in Jesus. And had I just stood in the front of that room and yelled at them about how stupid what they did was, they would be, <laughs> like, we would be in a different place right now, most True. likely. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it, it is, as we've said today, it is a real thing about what your witness looks like based on what he tells us to do, yeah. and he means it. You would have been, you wouldn't have been wrong to nope. say, guys, this is so incredibly offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, you would have been, you you have the right to do that. You probably wouldn't have had influence with it moving forward. That's right. So you started your message with a question causing us to think a little bit about what it would look like to see Jesus in our society today. What would be the kind of things that would cause him outrage? Would he be uh, blowing up Twitter? <laughs> you know, what, what what would Jesus look like today? And and I wonder, as you were contemplating these things, do you have an answer to that? What do you think Jesus would would look like in the way that he expressed his outrage today? Yeah, I don't like when I played that out in my head. The the more I played it out, the more I realized Jesus wouldn't change because what was going on to what's mm. going on today wasn't the same thing that was going on then. They just didn't have Apple devices and Android devices <laughs> to, to pass us as quick. It was the same. There was yeah. political unrest and racial injustice. All of that mm. stuff was swirling around in that moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The question that sort of I landed on in that moment is how do we react to that then? 
right? So we've got all of this information and all the things. If he showed up today, how do we react to Jesus being in the room and being outraged about how we behave? Because mm. I don't think we we it's it's in us and it's become such a pleasure to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we often see it as wrong. Yeah. We don't see that as something that we should have to measure. It's just where's the new stake in the ground? Where's mm. the new thing that I'm going to be angry about? Where's the new thing that I'm going to rally against culture about? Right? That's that's where Jesus would be like, okay, so let me tell you a story about this man who went down this road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. so, let me ask you this question: Do you think this would be? Do you think this would be a good follow-up question for people who are trying to take Jesus seriously and this message seriously? Where do I give myself permission to act for my anger? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Like, where where is it okay? Mm-hmm. It's How do a, I start? Not that it's wrong to be angry. Mm-hmm. Not that it's wrong to be upset. You know, you you, you walk to the front of the stage and, and you, you talked about loss. You know, what has been taken from you? What are you afraid might be taken from you? That's... No one's asking you to suppress that. No one's asking to say to ignore that or pretend that it's not real. But in those things, so what are we going to do? Yeah. Who are we going to trust most? Whose way are we going to follow? That's right. What yeah. choice are you going to make? Yeah. It would be amazing if we could see Jesus here in the room with us and and think as we're feeling angry to look mm-hmm. to him first. Like, are you also getting angry about this too? And, and just yeah. to be able to follow his lead yeah. and know if he's getting upset, we can uh, we can. Yeah imitate the the things that that cause him to feel upset. Yeah, I tried to I tried to relay just that in the message, right? So I find myself in these spaces with these groups who think like I should think or be like mm-hmm. I should be, right? And like, okay, I, I feel anger like I'm, is this something that Jesus would be mad about, right? Or is this group just feeding off itself? Yeah. Right? And it's uncomfortableness or what it feels like they've earned and it's been stripped from them. Like is this something that I should be like Jesus about? Mm-hmm. Or do I need to be Jesus in this space and diffuse what's happening in yeah. this moment so that we get back to where we should be? Yeah. Right. And I think that's that's the basis where we stand. I'm gonna be angry. Am I standing with Jesus and being angry? Mm-hmm. Or am I just angry for my own purposes and what I want? And if we want to keep digging, anger is a secondary emotion. It is. And so it sits on top of something that's deeper. It's mm-hmm. a it's it's fear, it's it's some sort of insecurity, it's hurt, it's loss, it's there's something else that's yeah. going on that's that's driving that. Yep. Mm-hmm. I uh, was thinking about something that you said, and I know that people have asked you. You know, did you did you get hired because you're qualified, oh, yeah. or is it is it is it tokenism? Um, and uh, I I want people to know the I want people to know the backstory. And so when we were in the process of looking for uh, an executive pastor, um, there was a team. Uh, that was headed by Jan Wright, and there were many other great mm-hmm. people uh, on that team who who worked hard, who were really skilled in this area, helping to to make to help us define a really good candidate. We used a search firm that that we trust, and at that time uh, we had uh, Caleb Smith as a as a candidate, and we had you as as a candidate. What that team didn't know is that in the background that the elders and I were working on pivoting to not just having one ex-executive pastor, but two executive pastors. 
And, uh, and then uh, <laughs> we had gotten down to it was the two of you guys were the final two candidates, and the team was split because they wanted to hire both of you. Mm-hmm. And I remember the night that I got to get on the Zoom call with the with the executive pastor search team and say, uh, guys, I have some information for you. We've decided to pivot <laughs> and hire two executive pastors instead of just one. And they were simultaneously relieved and excited and then scared, like, wait a second. Now these guys are going to find out that we've just changed our structure. We're hiring two executive pastors. Is it going to scare them both off? And I'm like, guys, don't worry about it. I think this I think this is going to be... This is going to be okay. But one of the reasons that we were so drawn to you, uh, Heather and I got to do uh, an interview with you and your wife early mm-hmm. on in the process. And you shared with us about things you had done in the local community and the city that you were in, things that you had done uh, internationally. And I, I want to be careful to not talk about any names or mm-hmm. locations in particularly, but you had what I would describe as an interesting um, work scenario in which you were encouraged to do less, yeah. and and the the pastor who supervised you actually wanted you uh, to do less, and so instead of um, continuing on with that particular church, doing some of the ministries that you were doing on your own time, you and your your wife yeah. and daughter were out in the community volunteering and engaging in ministry because you just couldn't you just couldn't do that. Yeah. You could not you could not stop. You couldn't sit in your office and slow slow down the pace of community engagement. And I was so captivated by that and 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 learning about your background um, in, in in science that the education that you that you that you have. Uh, I don't know that people know how in, intelligent uh, you are. You scored so high on the on the SAT, um, a mixture of shock and a little bit of racism. Your high school made you take <laughs> the take test again, again oh, in a room wow, by I yourself under observation, oh, and then so... you proved it by taking it a second time. I mean, I was I was moved to tears um, as I yeah. as I talked with my wife after that interview because I thought men like you are too rare in the Thank church, you. and I was over the moon excited about the prospect of you being able to to join uh, this team. And since you've been here, um, you have uh, you you have um, you've demonstrated why the executive pastor search team uh, was so excited about you, why Heather and I were so excited about you, um, because you have this uncanny ability of being able to meet all kinds of people at a much faster pace than I've been able to do, uh, to build relationships and trust uh, to uh, and really help advance the cause of community engagement and, and missions. And I'm uh, I'm grateful for you to be here. And I want other people to hear me say that. Well, thank you for that. We're excited to be here. It's our home. We call it home. We love it. So we're so excited about all the work we're doing.